Hey, Paula. Hey, Marcel. You remember we promised to do this panel on hacker cultures at the 4S mm -hmm. and East conference? Yeah, the one in Prague. Yeah, and it went online and was canceled because of the um, virus, yeah. coronavirus. Yeah, that, that was a bummer. Yeah, what if we made a podcast about it instead? That's a really good idea. You're a genius. Let's do it. Let's do it. Nice. This is Hacker Culture's The Conference Podcast. This year, COVID-19 turned most conferences virtual. So to combat Zoom fatigue, we decided to try another format and turn a conference session into a podcast. This series comes to you from the 2020 Joint 4S East Conference. I'm Paula Bielski, and along with my co-host, Mase Oyala, we're talking with all sorts of researchers who study what it is to be a hacker and what hacking, programming, tinkering, and working with computers is all about. As a technical note, some of this audio was recorded through Zoom. The audio might not be at its best, but it hopefully doesn't affect the content our researchers aim to get across. In this session, we're talking to Sylvain Bezançon from the University of Freiburg. Sylvian is an anthropologist working among technologists, which isn't an easy task. His talk is called Securing by Hacking, Maintenance Regimes Around End-to-End -end Encryption Standards. Now, he writes that internet standards are elementary and powerful bricks of the internet infrastructure. They define how the internet should work and help developers to code their pieces of software accordingly. However, regularly, there are some voices or hacks that destabilize them and open the door to radical uncertainties about the reliability of the software we use, especially when crucial information is at stake. Based on digital ethnography that he's done, as well as interviews and observations at international conferences, Sylvain's paper takes as a departure point the disclosure process of a series of vulnerabilities that affects an end-to-end -end email encryption standard called OpenPGP, used mostly by computer engineers, activists, and journalists. So let's go to Sylvain's talk. We'd like to invite Sylvain. Are you there, Sylvain? Yes, wonderful. Sylvain joins us from the University of Fribourg. And uh, it's really lovely to have you here. We've met before at uh, the... Where did we meet? We met in Leipzig at the, yeah, the biggest CCC. hack... The CCC, Biggest Hacker Conference, exactly, which I highly recommend to everyone. Um, and it's lovely to have you here. You're going to be talking about securing by hacking maintenance regimes around an end-to-end -end encryption standard. A lot of links with the stuff that we've been talking about also in the other sessions. Um, take it away. It's, again, lovely to have you. Yeah, this is quite a specific uh, topic, don't you think? So, I agree. So, yeah, what's, uh, what's going on? What's going on? Tell us what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> So first of all, uh, I'd like to thank you for organizing all this. I'm very happy to be here. And yeah, to answer your question, so I'm an anthropologist. Uh, I don't have any technical background. And when I started my PhD two years ago, I was interested in the production of information security. And actually, it was a really, like, really basic and naive question that I wanted to ask. What kind of things do computer programmers do to ensure that the information of their users, my information, is is safe. I, of course, quickly felt uh, completely overwhelmed and as I was dealing with a much larger field that I had expected. 
So to narrow down my focus, I started questioning the making and unmaking of online communication security by exploring one of the most mythical branch of information security, cryptography. Um, so as I said, I, I'm an anthropologist, so when I say mythical, I, I mean it as a joke, but still, <laughs> uh, cryptography is often deemed as a kind of technological magic that you can use to secure everything, or almost. Uh, but as you as you might imagine, uh, it's not that easy to secure your stuff. And beyond the crypto magic, a lot of people, engineers, hackers, activists are working very hard to to keep your information secure, or at least to keep the software you use uh, secure and up and running. So that's how I started following what seemed to appear a weird and somehow boring anthropological object, uh, an internet standard that provides end-to-end encryption for email. Uh, but the standard I chose was not just any standard. It was one of the most mythical ones, pretty good privacy, which has a crazy history involving patent issues, the, pu the publication of the of the code as a paper book <laughs> to export it outside the USA. I'm old enough to remember this. <laughs> and a nice uh, collection of controversies as well over the last 30 years. Okay, okay, okay. So, but okay, I will also back up because I mean, when I'm listening to you, I think you have very similar, or I've had similar issues in the past because if you think about entering a field as an anthropologist or as a sociologist myself, it's always quite daunting. So, how do you kind of study a technical object? People in here today in the audience have the same sort of uh, questions or have gone through this. Tell us how you've gone through this. Mm. So, it is always the case, but maybe it's still true for cryptography. The technology is never far away from social, political, or even ethical dimensions. Mm. So I don't consider cryptography as a purely um, technical thing. Rather, during discussions by Madeleine Krish, for example, but other uh, ANT scholars as well, I focus on the intertwining of the social and the technical dimensions uh, in the script of the standard and the other objects. And the advantage of cryptography is that there are a lot of objects to be examined. Uh, there are standards, protocol, algorithms, yeah. source code, programs, bugs, and so on. And each of these objects has stories to tell. And let me maybe unfold this for, with the example I'm studying uh, right now. So in 1991, uh, Philip Zimmerman, a hacker and anti-nuclear activist, developed and freely shared a program using public key cryptography uh, which he, he called Pretty Good Privacy, so PGP. The first program by Timmerman and has been uh, reworked and improved several times since then, and uh, he and also other people improved the source code, uh, of course, but also modified the crypto algorithms uh, it uses and so on. So by the late eight, uh, 90s, PGP uh, ended up being standardized by the Internet Engineering Task Force, and uh, so the most important standard bodies for internet protocols, and I won't speak about this because uh, Stefan Couture has explained everything already, so <laughs> that's good for me. <laughs> and um, there's a, but there's a new, uh, a new object here, a standard, and it's really uh, just a text document that tells uh, programmers how to code their software. And if you'd like to, and, and the standard in that case is called OpenPGP. And finally, finally, if you want to, to use, uh, to encrypt your email, 
uh, you can just use one of the, the implementations that exist and here uh, things become even more confusing as the, one of the most um, uh, used implementation is called GNU Privacy Guard, so GPG. Mm. So you've got pretty good privacy, PGP, which is the program, uh, <laughs> original program uh, developed by Phil Zimmerman, OpenPGP, the IETS standard, and GPG is one uh, of the implementation. But you have also others like Pretty Easy Privacy or ProtonMail, for example. I'm pretty confused now, I have to say. <laughs> so is, uh, are these the actors that you research? Yeah, who yeah. are they? Yeah. So yes, uh, these are the people I'm hanging out uh, uh, most of my fieldwork time for, to do my research. So the, the, on, on the one hand, there's uh, the ITF community, and on the other hand, the developers who develop implementations of the program. However, between the standard and the software developers, uh, there are a bunch of uh, important intermediaries. For instance, uh, there are developers and maintainers of cryptographic libraries that implement not the standard itself, but all the crypto algorithms the standard requires to use, like hash functions or uh, the implementation of uh, RSA, for example, and so on. There are also researchers, uh, mostly academic, but not only, who develop uh, new crypto algorithms for example, algorithms that would resist quantum computation, and also researchers that uh, who look for vulnerabilities in current crypto schemes. And we will discuss a little more about this in a minute. And of course, ring on Christopher Kelty's notion of recursive public, it is very important uh, not to forget users who, in the, in the case of OpenPGP, are mostly computer experts, political activists, journalists, and lawyers. So in other words, they are not random users. And most of them are people who know what they are doing when using uh, OpenPGP uh, because they need strong and reliable encryption to protect themselves and the people, clients, sources they work with. And they directly influence the, the perception of the, or the definition of the, the standard because they participate to the discussion about it. Mm. And so, yes, the, the ecosystem is very heterogeneous, involving different communities with different backgrounds, different objectives and norms. And I'm trying to keep in touch with all these social circles. Yeah, yeah. So, so really a lot of people, a lot of actors here. And can you tell us a bit about how they work together? So we could just imagine, yeah, how, how do they work together? Yeah, so, so yes, you're right. That's a lot of people. And we have to remember <laughs> that each individual or company has its own objectives and roadmap. So they don't necessarily want to directly collaborate, but they have to in order to have interoperable uh, programs. And that's why standards exist, actually. So they collaborate through the, the definition of the standard or through the maintenance of specific libraries. And we recognize here the hacker culture of the free and open source movement. Mm. Uh, but there are also those frantic times where everybody talked to everybody. Uh, this happened, for instance, in May 2018, when a team of computer scientists publicly disclosed a series of vulnerability called eFail. So eFail affected almost all uh, OpenPGP implementations and triggered a huge controversy impacting all the communities involved. Uh, usually, finding and disclosing vulnerabilities is not such an eventful thing. 
and especially around uh, standards such as OpenPGP, which is not really uh, well known by a broad audience. But in that, in that case, the scope was gigantic. There were journal articles, uh, endless threads on Twitter, uh, many blog posts, uh, forum discussions, and not to mention everything that took, took place locally, like discussion among developer teams, for example. So if you're curious, my supervisor, supervisor and I wrote a little paper about uh, the whole disclosure and some methodological thought re uh, related to it. So um, you, you can find that on our open data platform. Uh, I, I'll tap the link uh, in, the, in the chat. It's called cva.unifr.ch. Nice. So, and I won't come back on the, all these issues about the disclosure. But I, what I'd like to underline here is that the disclosure was not part of a routine and all involved actors seem to improvise. Mm. Uh, researchers change their plans, how to, to, to disclose the vulnerability. Developers were trying to understand what, what was going on and how to, to fix the issue, where it has to, to be fixed. Hackers and tech journalists tried to replicate the attack and users tried to, to understand what was going on. And uh, one of the big issues with eFail uh, was that it was very difficult to find out exactly who was responsible to patch it or where it has to be, it was supposed to be patched. Indeed, the flow were exploiting some weaknesses at the standard level. So theoretically, theoretically uh, the ITF had to change its specs, but some other weaknesses were clearly implementation flows and others simply tricked the users. So, and, and without forgetting that eFail was also exploiting HTML code in email, which uh, links to a bunch of other well-known flows in the email infrastructure. So, so yeah, then it was, a really not, it was really not a trivial question to ask who was responsible to fix it. It was a very complex affair, which very well illustrated the tedious and highly complex work of maintaining digital infrastructure. <clears throat> These maintained questions uh, come across here all the time, and yeah, since yeah. that we're kind of like circling around some some nice themes here, that's super interesting. And you said a little bit that you won't uh, address this uh, kind of uh, event so much, but could you could you quickly uh, just say a little bit like you know you mentioned that it's kind of like a special event, and then like what what could we learn from such an event mm -hmm. in general? So to be honest, and uh, I'm sorry to say that, <laughs> but from my point of view, this disclosure and the, 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 the big uh, controversy uh, that followed was a super interesting time. And as it forced me to refine my understanding of the field, I wasn't aware of all the, the, um, the, net, the, the, the network of interconnected uh, libraries and highly specialized communities. Uh, such kind of event can help making them visible especially when uh, with people that usually walk behind the scene. Mm. And it also helped me to figure out how the field was structured as the EFL controversy mm. intensifies internal and external tensions within the, or between these communities. Uh, moreover, the, the case of EFL showed very well how information security is simultaneously made and unmade through maintenance and innovation processes. Mm. Made or maybe not unmade because the researcher developed a new crypto technique which, which advanced the general understanding of how to manipulate and hack a ciphertext. 
but made because they found flaws and reported them to the company so that the, the later can fix them. And made again because many people felt completely insecure and stopped uh, using email encryption for a while or definitely. And made again because uh, mm. it failed forced developers and engineers to rewrite their code and invent new solutions. And made yet again because <laughs> as it brought a kind of uncertainty about the future of OpenPGP. Uh, and this uncertainty was nurtured by a very skeptical uh, discourses about it. So all of this fully falls in line with the security, securitization theories that mm. say that security is not an objective state, but rather a construction, a process. Mm. And finally, uh, Ife made it very clear that despite there were so many people saying that OpenPGP should disappear, uh, a lot of people were still interesting and care about and care a lot about it. And I found fascinating to observe how passionate people were about this technology. I'm very impressed that uh, how much the product of an anti-nuclear hacker in the 1990s ended up being at the core of such a huge debate involving scholars, engineers, developers, hackers, nonprofit organizations, activists, journalists from all over the world, all around, all around the world, almost 30 years after the um, after its first release. And so, no, I, I guess OpenPGP is not at all a boring anthropological object, and I hope I have convinced you about this. <laughs> yeah, we're convinced. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it's such a like an STS moment of like when things go wrong, that's when like things become visible. Like you see how things always were when they were kind of like a little bit running in the background. Yeah, so. exactly. And you're you're now in a, uh, continuing this research, and it'll end in a PhD, from what I understand. Yes. Yeah. In a PHP. PHP, PHP, PHD. PHP, 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 Okay. Okay, start as like beatboxing, so very good. Exactly, start beatboxing. Thank you so much to Sylvain. Can we give him a round of applause? And that was very, very interesting. We're looking forward to your work. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. This podcast series was hosted by Paula Bielski and Matze Oyala. It was produced by Heights Beats and Hot Milk Productions with funding from St. Gallen University. Thank you to all the panelists and audience members of the Hacker Cultures panel at the 4S and East 2020 conference on the theme of locating and timing matters, significance and agency of science and technology studies in emerging worlds.